Chapter 16 The final day of October meant two things for Draco. His next session with Eponine and Abbott, and having to survive his Halloween ball with Pansy on his arm, or the girl he really wanted to take, had danced with one of his best friends. Luckily for him, the session with his therapist had been a short one due to everyone getting ready for the ball. Unluckily for him, she had pushed him quite a lot to speak about his father, which he absolutely wasn't ready to do. So, seeing as you won't talk about your friends, or your mother, or your schoolwork, or even Quidditch, why don't we try talking about your father? Draco snarled at Eponine, trying to bore into her soul with his glare. It didn't work one bit. She simply smiled at him before continuing. What do you think he'd think of the girl you like? Draco felt his eye twitch. I was there that day, you know, in the three broomsticks. My sister is an apprentice there now, learning the ropes of the business. I saw the way you looked at that brunette in your group. She looked at her patient with kind, understanding eyes. She's Hermione Granger. Of course, everyone knows who she is. More people than know even who you are in the wizarding world, I would imagine. She's a muggle-born, no? So? Draco growled. What do you think your father would think if you being infatuated with her? That was it for Draco. He shut down. He couldn't hear anything else Eponine said. All he could hear were his father's screams at him all those years ago. And all he could feel were the familiar sparks of pain as his father taught him a lesson with his cane. I can't smack. Believe. Smack. You came second. Smack. That filthy. Smack. Mudblood we met. Smack. Today. Smack. As soon as he's seen Granger and her muggle parents in flourishing blocks, cooing with Weasleys and Potter over that Lockhart idiot, he knew it was going to spell trouble. He tried his hardest to insult the group and push them further back into the shop, but his father had been quicker than expected in Nocturne Alley and had caught him talking to them. It also didn't help that he'd been going on about Granger the day before, making up excuses when his father had come home with a report from the school governors, which showed that she was above him in all subjects bar potions. Draco flinched as his father raised his cane once again, his face bloody and cut up from the sharp edges of the snake's skull, and adorned the end of his father's wand and its holder. He could hardly see out of his left eye already, but he knew there was more coming. Flinching, are we? Lucius bent down and grabbed Draco by the hair to bring him to his eye level. You're twelve, you pathetic excuse for your pure blood. Act it. With one final smack around the face with the end of his wand, Draco's father let him fall back down to the ground, almost unconscious from his beating. His mother, of course, was nowhere to be found, probably confined to her rooms for the evening on the pretense of letting her have some female time so she couldn't hear or witness her father brutally punishing her son for being second best for mudblood. Lucius exited the room swiftly, casting a cleaning charm on his bloodied wand end and not bothering to call for a house-elf to help his son. He didn't show it in his short session, but Draco was beyond anger. Coming out of his memory, he took one final look at Eponine, his mask firmly back in place, gave her a short, We're done here, I have a ball to get ready for, and swiftly returned to his room, fighting back the urge to scream, reaching straight for his trusty silver box. The euphoric release that the freshly healed slices on his wrists gave him didn't last long, but it did give him enough energy and facade to be able to face a school of people and pretend to be jovial for Halloween.
He took his fourth shot of fire whiskey as Blaze entered his room after a quick knock, shaking the bottle in offering at his friend. Blaze readily agreed and poured himself a shot, dropping his costume off Draco's bed to get changed. I never thought I'd see the day when pure-blood males like us went somewhere in fancy dress, the dark head grumbled. I mean, I'm going to look sexy as hell in my outfit, but can you imagine what our parents would say if they saw us in these? Chuckling, Draco responded with a simple, They'd hate it, and that's what makes it so good. Blaze nodded in agreement, making a cheers motion with his now empty shot glass before donning his pirate costume. Staring quizzically at Draco, who was now sporting loose Victorian-style trousers, a baggy white ruffle-collared shirt, which was charmed to look wet, a long black overcoat and black riding boots, he asked, What exactly are you supposed to be? Mr Darcy. Mr who now? Darcy, Draco said slowly. He's a character from a muggle novel. And this muggle novel, teased Blaze, wouldn't happen to be a favourite muggle novel of one bushy-haired pretty witch we know, would it? Draco scoffed and left his room with a final, fuck off. Blaze sighed and followed Draco out of his room to join the fellow eighth-year males, minus Finch, Fletchley and Goldstein, thanks Salazar, who had already made their way down to the dance with their seventh-year dates. Somehow, Thea had made himself look more like a child in dress-up than an intimidating Viking in his inspired outfit deep blue colour and orange trim not complementing his dark hair and green eyes massively well. And the large, dull replica sword looking far too small, to Draco anyway, against his tall frame. Neville had managed to look like a complete fool wearing a frog costume which was apparently meant to be homage to his late Toad Trevor or something. Draco and Blaze joined the lineup, with Blaze standing to Theo's right and Draco to Neville's left, as the giggling of the girls announced their arrival at the entrance to the door corridor. Luna entered first, and Draco hoped that her costume wasn't an omen for all of the other girls in the group. She had on large green jests, which swirled into a pink shape at the bottom. The shape of a rose, thigh-high green boots, which she even adorned with moss and leaves to act as stems, and a rose petal crown in her hair. She certainly looked a sight next to her date Neville, a couple's vision of green. Ginny was next, bouncing over to Blaze, admiring his pirate costume with a flirtatious smack to the arm, and a, if I wasn't in love with Harry so much, I'd definitely like to get kidnapped to your pirate ship. Her hair flowed down her back in loose curls, charmed to be even redder than it was before, and she had on a tight-fitting red shimmery gown with a high slit and purple gloves. And who are you supposed to be? Blaze choked out. Draco laughed. His friend had always found it difficult to communicate around beautiful women, despite what the rumours might say. Hermione said it's someone called Jessica Rabbits. Apparently she's a saucy cartoon character with lots of spunk, she grinned. Suits me down to a T, don't you think? Blaze could do nothing but nod as he tried to tear his eyes away from the form-fitting dress and the way it pushed her breasts up together. Draco couldn't stop himself staring until Pansy announced herself with a quick swat on his arm. Turning to her and giving his friend a kiss on the cheek, he was a gentleman, after all. He complimented her cat costume. He then held his arm out to Susan, who had followed Pansy out, dressed in a bronze dress which looked like scales. She had charmed deep red dragon wings on her back, which were small, until she uttered the incantation to enlarge them and make them flap. Draco had offered to escort Susan down to the dance, where her seventh-year date would be waiting for her in the Great Hall. 
A glint of gold caught his eye, making him look up to the entrance once more. He was completely lost for words. He didn't even feel Pansy let go of his arm and rush over to the girl in the entrance, fussing over her dress. She's going to be the death of me. Fuck. I know, right? That cat outfit is something else, isn't it? Shit, had he said that out loud? Turning to Neville, his mouth still agape, he managed a... Yeah, Pansy, right, before turning his gaze back to the golden vision that was Granger. She had on an intricate short dress which flared out to sit mid-thigh, the plunging sweetheart neckline. Glittering gold thread ran through the whole dress, making it look like it moved. The threads carried on to twine down her arms, with shimmering pearl gloves covering her forearms. Simple gold wings shone behind her, haloing a gold fairy crown which balanced magically on top of her curls. She looks like a divine fairy princess, he thought. You look like a divine fairy princess. Theo waltzed over to her, grabbing her around the waist and kissing her deeply, to which Draco scowled and tore his eyes away, grabbing Pansy and leading his two girls through the portrait hole. He'd seen enough of that, and it was only the beginning of the night. Hermione hadn't expected to enjoy herself so much at the Halloween ball. She knew the dress was pretty, but she hadn't expected so many compliments or requests for dancers. Thea had been a proper gentleman, guiding her through the first two dances and then staying by her side to make sure she was comfortable and happy to dance with anyone who asked her, before letting her go with them for one more dance. Some people might have seen it as possessive, but she had taken enough time to understand the ways of the purebred elite. She sat through two hours of Blaze droning on about the customs with her the previous night. After being led back to Theo by Matthias Sucia, a charming seventh-year half-blood, she found herself being led outside to the courtyard by her wizard. It was certainly more romantic out here, a stark contrast from the eerie glow of the carved pumpkins and swirling charms fog that skimmed the floor of the great hall. With twinkling floating jars that looked like miniature stars surrounding them and bathing the usually grey courtyard in an amber glow. Theo led her over to one of the benches, sitting close to her but not touching. He looked a little awkward. As she went to reach for his hand, he pulled it away. She felt a pang of disappointment in her stomach until she realised he wasn't pulling away from her. He was reaching into his pocket for something. A small mauve velvet box. He held the box underneath, taking her hand and placing it on top. Hermione, he looked deep into her eyes. I've really enjoyed these past couple of months getting to know you on a deeper level than just acquaintances, and I've really enjoyed the more intimate times we've shared together. I'd like you to accept this offering from me as my way of officially announcing my intentions to court you, and perhaps ask if you'd like to be my girlfriend? Officially? She was a little taken aback by the formality of it all, but he was a purebird after all, and from one of the oldest and most traditional wizarding houses. After he'd made his speech, he lifted her hand on the box into his, and opened the velvet with a snap, revealing the most beautiful piece of jewellery Hermione had ever seen. It's a hair clip, Theo said, taking the clip from the box and holding it in his palm. Will you accept it and me? Hermione looked over to the stunning hair clip. It was large, large enough to pin her unruly hair back, a deep silver with an intricate woven Celtic pattern, the dusting of tiny diamonds, sapphires and emeralds. It looked so slithering, so exquisite, so old. All she could do was nod. Theo beamed at her acceptance. 
pulling it into a passionate kiss, moaning onto her mouth. My princess, my beauty, my girlfriend. She kissed him back with as much passion as she could. There was still a tiny voice in the back of her mind telling her that something was missing, but she squashed it down, putting it down to her unfamiliarity with Gerber customs. How could anything be wrong with this man? All too soon, the kiss was over. Theo stood up, taking her hand in his and pulling her to stand in his arms. I want you to wear this on Friday night for our next date. Put it on and it will guide you to where you need to go. Of course, a Slytherin would give me a charmed piece of jewellery, she giggled. There's no other kind for someone as stunning as you, my princess. Kissing the palm of his hand that she'd been stroking her cheek with, she locked eyes with his once more. Thank you, boyfriend. Come on, let's get back to the party so I can show off my new jewels and how much I appreciate you. Beaming, Theo let his witch lead him back to the party. Hermione still clutching the velvet box. She was disappointed that she couldn't wear the jewels tonight with her crown, but she would definitely be wearing it the first chance she got on Friday. Draco had been trying to enjoy himself, he really had, but watching Granger dance so closely with Theo and with so many others from their peer group, he had riled himself up. He had tried to dance with her three times now, but every time he made a move towards her, Theo would give him daggers and turn her away so she couldn't notice his approach or want to dance with her. In turn, he'd resorted to drinking instead with Blaze. Blaze had asked Ginny to the Halloween ball in the hopes that with Potter not around, the fiery redhead would realise that there were other, dare he say, more handsome and eligible wizards out there for her. He definitely had a crush, and Blaze wasn't one to give up on a woman as feisty as Ginny Weasley for anything. Unfortunately, Ginny was still wholeheartedly in love with Potter, happily announcing on the way down to the ball as she hung off Blaze's arm that her idiot boyfriend and her equally idiotic brother were going to be visiting the castle on Wednesday for the upcoming Gryffindor vs Slytherin Quidditch match to support her. So, three hours later, Draco and Blaze found themselves sat in the corner of the hall, watching the dancing and stewing over the witches that they had fancied who wanted other wizards. Draco had noticed a while ago that Granger had left the ball to go outside with Theo. He knew how pure-blood customs worked better than anyone, and having seen the velvet box Theo had been fiddling with before the girls had come into the common room that night, he was going to officially court her. He knew it. Draco had lost his chance. He was about to ask Blaze for a fifth time when he thought Granger and Theo might return, and if he thought she was all right, when the doors to the great hall opened and the couple walked back into the hall hand in hand. Chapter 17 If the entire Gryffindor population didn't know that Harry and Ron were visiting the school that morning, by 6am on that fateful Wednesday, they certainly did. Hermione's rare happy dreams were disrupted by an excited screech coming from the other side of the room. Harry and Neville had decided to sleep in the Gryffindor common room the night before Harry and Ron's arrival, so that they could be the first thing in the morning to set up for the welcome breakfast Ginny had planned. She'd also not told them about her relationship with Theo at all, and after they hadn't been particularly thrilled with her summer friendship formings with the Slytherins, she didn't exactly expect them to take the news of one of them now being her boyfriend very well. Before she could fully open her eyes, Ginny was pulling her out of bed, the bed that should have belonged to Rosalie Ferris, a muggle-born whose parents had moved to America when the war had started, excitedly bouncing up and down. 
Come on, come on, it's only 6.05, they'll be here in less than two hours. Hermione sat herself up on the end of the bed, legs dangling over the side, stretching. Ginny, calm down, she yawned. Nobody takes two hours to get ready. Ginny looked insulted. It might only take you ten minutes to wash that perfect skin and charm those curls, but some of us have non-superhuman issues. Can you see the size of this zit on my chin? Harry's going to freak and dump me. Ginny was getting far too riled up for this early in the morning. Despite what most people thought, Hermione wasn't a particularly a morning person. It was simply easier to get up at 5.30 and actually have an hour or two of peace before the inevitable stampede of the student body descended into her life every morning, even at the weekends most of the time. <sighs> Chinny, what am I going to wear? It needs to say sexy, but also, I've not been dressing like this around school when you're not here. Ginny, what if he sees me and doesn't fancy me anymore? My hair has got longer. I haven't shaved my legs in a week. And Ginny, Hermione finally shouted, grabbing her friend by the shoulders and taking her back to her senses. Harry loves you. He's just going to be happy to see you. Zits, fluffy legs and all. Ginny let out a sigh, lowering her head. You're right, she huffed before snapping her head up. But I'm still going to shave my legs and nick some instant resolver zit cream from Lissy. The redhead started to rummage through her doormate's trunk for the cream. It was a bloody good job that Lissy was dating one of the Ravenclaw seventh years and had decided to spend the night in another house's dorm. Lissy had always had a bit of a crush on Harry, so tried to avoid any awkwardness when he and Ginny were in the same room since they started dating. Hermione made her way down to the common room while Ginny jumped in the shower, mumbling about having to cast her leg waxing charm twice stopping dead at the bottom of the staircase when she was welcomed not only by her fellow Gryffindors, but also Theo and Malfoy, one looking very bright and cheery, the other trying as hard as he could to sink into the background, looking uncomfortable surrounded by red and gold. Good morning, sunshine, Theo beamed, opening his arms to her. Taking him up on his offer of a hug and planting a kiss to the side of his mouth, she asked, What are you guys doing here? Well, word was bound to get out about you and Theo, and we thought it might be best that the news was broken to Harry and Ron early on, in a controlled environment, piped up Neville. Theo squeezed her harder into the hug, trying to calm her nerves at the knowledge that her relationship with Theo would soon become public knowledge to her two best friends. Her two best friends that hadn't had the chance to see how much the Slytherins had changed. Her two best friends that probably still bore a grudge against the whole house. And you? She questions Malfoy. He jerked his head in her direction. I just wanted to see Potter and Weaselby explode when they found out about you being poked by a snake. His voice was low and venomous, but she swore she caught a glimpse of something more in his eyes. Is that sadness? She rolled her eyes at him. Fuck off, Malfoy. She knew him enough by now to know when his words held no weight to what he was actually saying, especially after their night in the astronomy tower all those weeks ago. He let out a huff that almost sounded like a laugh, his expression softening. Okay, okay, he quipped. Theo made me come along for moral support in case your besties hexed him. Or to torture me by making me watch him fawn all over you while your friends accept him with open arms. He's not the one with the dark mark, or the one who's tortured you all these years after all, he thought, biting back a scowl. Hermione didn't take her gaze off him as she released Theo a little, turning her body side to him. I liked your Halloween costume, by the way. Pride and Prejudice is my favourite muggle novel. She noticed Malfoy's eyes widened slightly, 
his still gaze not blinking. There was a flash of shimmering silver before he simply turned his face away with a short nod and a mumbled, I know. Ow, Theo! Hermione protested. Theo had tightened his grip on her upper arm to the point where she expected a bruise. Sorry, my princess, I'm just really nervous. I hope your friends accept me. Her attention now on Theo, she cupped his chin and gave him a quick, sweet kiss, before assuring him that he had nothing to worry about and that they would love him. She was torn from her gaze by Theo, with a swishing of robes as Malfoy quickly made his way across the common room, stalking out of the portrait hole, shooting a quick, on second thoughts, one snake is enough, over his shoulder. Sitting at the breakfast table in the great hall, Hermione couldn't help but grin. She never thought she'd see the day when her two best friends were sitting across from her, her Slytherin boyfriend, between them in his green Quidditch gear, animatedly debating Quidditch plays and laughing, while her closest female friends sat next to her in her own Quidditch robes, with not an ounce of rivalry or animosity between them. There was a shout of, NOT from across the hall, signalling that Theo needed to go and join his team as they made their way out to the pitch. Ginny quickly followed, shouting for her team, she was captain of course, to huddle in the entrance hall for a quick team chat before making their way to the locker rooms. Nobody else noticed, except Hermione, but Ginny's smile faltered for a millisecond before she put on her best captain smile as she glanced over at the memorial water feature at the height of the Great Hall before following her team out. Shortly after, the rest of the student body slowly started filing out and making their way down to the stands. Hermione was adorned with red and gold in support of Gryffindor, but was sneakily wearing one of Theo's old Quidditch training shirts under the coat and scarf. You know for a snake, Harry slung his arm around her shoulder as they walked down the hill. I actually really like him. Ron nodded next to her. I agree. She looked at him in shock before he added, for a snake. She rolled her eyes at her friends, a large smile on her face at the acceptance from the two people most important in her life of her new boyfriend. The match started quickly after they had found their seats, flashes of green and red swirling around the large pitch. Hermione could feel the excitement of the boys either side of her as they watched their friends play the game they missed so much. The teams were much different now from when they had last played, with many of the returning older students not wanting to take part in the sport. It felt too soon for a lot of them to be falling back into house rivalries in such a full-on sport, but Ginny and Theo had taken it in their stride, seeing Quidditch as one of the best outlets for their hurt and anger after the war. Playing Quidditch was one of the only things Hermione had seen Ginny do and looked genuinely, thoroughly happy doing since they had returned to the school. One of the only activities she'd seen her friend do without faltering her smile at some point. As the match settled and the seekers vanished into the clouds, Hermione's gaze followed Theo around the pitch as he dodged bludgers, quaffle in hand. He was impressive to watch, a great flyer, nimble, quick and very accurate with his throws. As he made a quick turn in front of the Slytherin stands to avoid a bludger, her eyes caught a glimpse of the shocking white blonde in the stands. She hadn't even registered that Malfoy wasn't playing as Slytherin Seeker this year. He was watching the match intently, though didn't look at all pleased, even if the Slytherin team were 90 points ahead. She'd watched him curiously as his brow furrowed and unfurrowed, as his gaze darted about the field, not focusing on any player in particular. Then she realised he wasn't watching the match, 
he was looking for the snitch. She wondered why then, if he was so clearly a seeker at heart, that he wasn't playing in the team. He couldn't have tried out, otherwise he would have been there. She hated to admit it to herself, but she had noticed over the past few years how good of a flyer he was, how good a seeker he was, and how happy flying made him. Him just sitting in the stands, watching the match, made no sense to her. As she watched him, she noticed his gaze flicker down to a group of younger students, fifth years by the looks of it, sitting in front of him, a flash of anger going across his brows before he stood and stormed out of the stands, pushing one of the sniggering groups off their bench as he passed. What on earth was that about? Draco longed to play Quidditch. He wasn't entirely sure why he'd even bothered to come to this match. He'd avoided all of the others since the start of the school year. Idly watching the players zoom about the field, he quickly lost focus on the match, his seeker instincts kicking in as he glimpsed a flash of gold out of the corner of his eye. Neither of the actual seekers had spotted it yet, but Draco followed the snitch as it cascaded around one of the Ravenclaw Towers and made its way sneakily down to weave in and out of the wooden beams that sat in the trenches of the pitch. He let a smirk slip onto his lips as he recalled his first match against Potter in those trenches, faltering quickly after he remembered the beating he'd received to his knuckles and temple from his father, following his failure to catch the snitch. The Gryffindors had been fawning over Harry in the hospital wing at the time, making fun of him on the first day he was there, saying he didn't need to be, and was pushing the pain he supposedly felt in his chest. They were right, of course. He didn't need to be in the hospital wing on that first day for a bruised ego and a slight winding, but on the second day, when his curtains had been drawn after his father's visit, he certainly needed to be there. He was still following the snitch as it shot out of the trenches on the other side of the pitch and made its way up into the clouds. The Slytherin seeker finally noticed it. That royal Shafiq really was an idiot. The Gryffindor seeker was quickly in tow. This was the exciting part, as both seekers swerved and dived after the tricky snitch, and Draco was enthralled. He could practically feel the wind in his hair, could practically sense the feel of cold gold in his grasped palm, could practically... Can you believe that Granger has stooped so low as to date Theodore not? The group of gossiping fifth years in front of him tore him from his careful watch of the match. The group was mainly Slytherins, three of them, but they were with two Ravenclaws. Draco didn't recognise any of them, except for one of the Slytherin girls, Scarlet Lowe, a stupid name for a green snake, if he was being honest, as one of the first years that had ogled him in his Yule Ball dress robes all those years ago. The Lowe family were half-bloods, but all had been in Slytherin for the past hundred years, and none of the group's families had an allegiance to the Dark Lord. This was one of the reasons why Draco was so happy not to be in the Slytherin common room this year, as many of their younger peers hadn't followed the misjudged ideals and thought of them in a high regard as most of the other houses. I can't believe any of them put up with that group, especially Malfoy. I saw Granger and Weasley talking to him the other day as if they were friends. Draco could feel the blood start to boil in his veins. She's really sullying herself. A pressure was building behind his temple. Too good for the likes of not. A twitch had started in his left eye. Disgracing herself with the son of a death eater. That was it. He couldn't listen anymore. He needed to get out of there. 
Standing abruptly, he noticed the group of five in front of him spin around. Shocked looks on their faces as they hadn't even realised he'd been sitting there, just a couple of rows behind them. He made a point as he stalked down the stand to shove into the Slytherin boy who was sat on the end of the group. Well, if he will expose himself on the end of a bench like that, Draco hissed to himself. Back in the Gryffindor common room, Hermione was fighting her way through the crowd of celebrating lions to get herself and Theo a drink. As she reached the makeshift bar in the far corner, Ginny grabbed at her shoulders, a panicked look in her eyes. Hermione's eyes widened, scanning her friend's face. Ginny, what the hell's the matter? In the ever overdramatic fashion Hermione had learned came along with most things that weren't actually a crisis with Ginny, she blurted, Harry's asked me if I want to go to Hogsmeade with him for a drink after the party and I look a mess. I have nothing to wear and my hair is a state after the map and I don't have time to shower. Hermione sighed. The crisis was not a crisis. Ginny, Ginny, calm down. You're a witch for goodness sake. Ginny, in her panic, stared at Hermione blankly. Go to my dorm room. The password to the common room is Redemptio. Pick out anything you want from my wardrobe. There's a list of beauty charms I learned from my dates with Theo in the top drawer and you can pick out a nice piece of jewellery if you like. Ginny audibly sighed before hugging Hermione tightly and whispering a quick thank you before leaving the Gryffindor Tower. Ginny breathed in the silence as she entered the eighth-year common room. It was weird when nobody was here. All of the eighth-year Slytherins were nursing their loss in the dungeons, and everyone else had made their way to the Gryffindor party, but she revelled in the quiet. Ginny had always been a party girl, but since the war she had found it harder and harder to party all night like she used to, eventually always feeling guilty that so many of her friends, and Fred, couldn't be there to enjoy it too. She made her way down to Hermione's room, resisting the temptation to sneak into any of the others' rooms, and started rummaging through the wardrobe, eventually settling on a long-sleeved cream jumper dress and knee-high tan boots. She cast a few of the beauty charms on the list onto her face, making her skin look fresh and dewy and her lips plump and pink. She finally managed to straighten her hair with a simple flick of her wrist. That's when her eyes fell on a tempting mauve velvet box on Hermione's dresser. Opening the box, she gasped at the beauty of the hair clip inside. She could almost feel the magic radiating off it. It didn't feel like a dark magic. It felt inviting and kind. And being a gift from Theo, it certainly couldn't be anything bad. Probably a charm to make you feel horny, if anything. Ginny hovered her hand over the hair clip. She knew she probably shouldn't touch the gift, and wasn't even sure that Hermione herself had worn it yet. But it was so pretty, and Harry would love her in it, so she was sure of that. Her tipsy mind won out as she messily braided two chunks of hair either side of her head and secured them back with the hair clip. Draco was fuming, even after three hours of sitting by the Black Lake, throwing stones into the air and blasting them to oblivion with his wand. Blazer sat by him for an hour in silence, but had soon given up as the temptation of alcohol and the dropping of the temperature had lured him back to the castle. Draco wasn't angry at his friend, he actually preferred to be alone, but he was grateful that Blaze had talked to him, knowing his way to bring him down from running back to his trusty bottle of fire whiskey and silver companion in his room. As it started to snow, he finally gave up with his brooding. Everyone would be at either the Slytherin or the Gryffindor party by now, or fast asleep, which meant it was a perfect opportunity to skulk back to the eighth-year common room without being disturbed. 
He made his way back up to the castle slowly, still turning over the words that the group at the match had said. If they think she's far too good for Theo, think what they think of you with her. You're nothing compared to her. You're scum compared to Theo. As he entered the courtyard, he threw back his head with a grunt, trying to dispel the thoughts that were now screaming in his head before going inside. As he opened his eyes, head still hung back, however, he noticed something that didn't look right in the direction above him. Someone was in the astronomy tower. That wasn't unusual. What was unusual was the fact that he could see from the glint of the moon and his excellent seeker eyesight that they were on the wrong side of the railings, on the outside of the railings. A lump caught in his throat. He didn't know what to do. Sure, he himself had contemplated offing himself on a number of occasions in the last few years, but seeing someone else in that state threw him for a loop. Did he try and run to them? No, that would take far too long to get up to the astronomy tower, and he couldn't apparate within Hogwarts. Did he try and shout out to them? No, they were much too far away to be able to hear him. Then it hit him. Legilimens, he whispered, staring at the figure on the edge. He shuffled through the girl's thoughts, pushing to the forefront of her brain to understand what she was saying in her mind at that moment. He flashed through memories of Potter, Granger, flying on the Gryffindor-Quidditch team, helping younger students after sessions with the Carrow twins, and finally, kissing Potter in the room of hidden things. Ginny, he gasped. He pushed back into her mind, right to the front, but he couldn't hear anything. Nothing at all. Something was not right. He listened more carefully. Then he heard it, just a faint little hiss of a whisper in her ear. Jump, jump, jump. Nobody wants you here. Jump. He felt her lurch forward while he was inside her mind, ripping his way out of it just in time to see her lean forwards, hands spread out like she was trying to fly. Then she was falling. She was falling fast. In a panic, Draco did the only thing he could think of doing at the time. He quickly whipped out his wand and cast an arrested momentum as fast as he could. He ran over to Ginny's limp body. Her head was bleeding and she had clearly broken her wrist and her leg. Had he been too late to save her? In a blind panic, he felt his magic coursing through him. He couldn't think, but his magic seemed to know what to do. A white ball erupted from his chest, taking the form of a regal peacock flying away into the castle. Before he knew it, he was being dragged from the floor by his small, familiar hands. The same hands that had comforted him in the astronomy tower all those weeks ago, as others gathered around. Granger was pulling him away from the group and sitting him down on one of the stone benches that lined the courtyard, carefully bringing a conjured glass of fire whiskey to his lips to calm him. What happened? she whispered to him softly taking the glass away from him and replacing her hands in his, kneeling before him. He couldn't find the right words, managing only to stutter out. Ginny fell, Castle Gillimans, telling her to jump. I, I tried, I tried to arrest the momentum. She let go of his hands, replacing them with a cup of fire whiskey, before making her way over to where Weasley and Madame Pomfrey were kneeling next to Ginny's unmoving body. He overheard her telling Ron to send up a Patronus to Potter in Hogsmeade. He'll be waiting for her. She was meant to be on a date with Wonderboy, he thought. Why would she try and kill herself on the night she was meant to be on a date? 
He was interrupted in his thoughts when he heard Pomfrey confirming that Weaslet had sustained several injuries, but none were life-threatening, and she was alive. He let out a breath he didn't know he'd been holding, feeling a wash of calm come over him, and leant back on the bench. The redhead was going to be fine. Mm-hmm.